When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and guess what? Jerry's here, too. And I'll tell you what, Jerry will be the one who murdered us if we ever turn up dead in a lounge, or ballroom, conservatory, and she'll probably have used a lead pipe because Jerry carries a lead pipe with her at all times. And her nickname is uh, Miss Scarlet. Yeah, she makes us call her Miss Scarlet. <laughs> I have to say, this feels like a Chuck pick through and through, but it was your pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have to ask right away if you are a, a, a cluist. I'm historically. Not a clu- oh, historically, yes. It's one of my favorite games of all time. Oh, great. Me I played too. played a lot. All right. Well, we're going to have fun talking about this then. Man, I love Clue. As a matter of fact, I went on eBay and uh, made a lowball offer on a complete 1972 yep. um, edition of Clue, which is the one baby. I grew up with. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, I guess I had the 86, and I looked. I was like, nope, that's not it. Went a little further back, yeah. 1972. I just it's- started drooling from nostalgia. <laughs> Yeah, it's the 72. If you're in our age bracket, the 72 version is a very, very nostalgic sort of like it's just very evocative. It brings out mm-hmm. smells in your brain and mm-hmm. like fights your parents are having in the other room and <laughs> oh. like cartoons that are on. It's like it's it's it hits hard. Uh, I was very disappointed because I went to find out. I was like, man, who who are those models now who took that picture? I, like I was really curious. Yeah. And. I found a thing on Medium that I, did I didn't. Too. It's a it's a spoof, right? Yes. It has to be. Okay. Yeah, I was like, oh my god, Annie Leibovitz <laughs> took that picture. Yeah. Once you start reading it, though, I was yeah. like, wait a minute. This, <laughs> right. this, I was so disappointed because I I even went to Reddit and I, I don't know. I couldn't find out any information on who those people were or how that went down. I mean, it's just such an arcane thing to spoof. It it was called an oral history of the photo shoot for the 1972 cover of Clue. How excited like were that? you when you read that title? Yeah, I was like, this is some good, this is good treasure right here. Uh, yeah, and then I thought, wow, Annie Leibovitz like took that picture. No. So whoever wrote that, if you're out there, you got us both. Yeah, and shame on you. <laughs> so um, we're talking about Clue, the game, if you're in the UK and you're like, what is this Clue they're talking about? Allow us to also call it Cluedo. Clue is way better a name for it, but Cluedo is what it's called basically outside of North America. Yeah. And the reason that you would qualify outside of North America is because it's a big hit all over the country. It's translated into Spanish, Swiss, um, 
Well, you know, those two among other languages. <laughs> I think we should go back in time. It's one of the great games of all time uh, and talk a little bit about the invention of Clue because mm-hmm. it's a pretty good story. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a guy named Anthony Pratt, Anthony E. Pratt, not to be confused with the other Anthony Pratt. Why does that name sound familiar? Uh, I don't know. You may be thinking Chris Pratt. Well, I think no, Anthony Pratt's a politician of some kind. Okay, that might be it. No, I know who Chris Pratt is. Oh, well, I don't know. <laughs> um, Anthony E. Pratt was born in uh, Birmingham, near Birmingham in 1903, England, mm-hmm. that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a, he was a high school dropout, professional piano player. Yeah. And during World War I, when he was but a young teen, uh, the story goes that he and his friends would sit around and play what he called uh, a stupid game called Murder, where guests crept up on each other in corridors and the victim would shriek and fall on the floor. Mm-hmm. And apparently, post-high uh, school years, was a traveling piano player that would play at uh, these sort of ritzy country hotels mm-hmm. where guests uh, in the hotel would put this on at, like, you know, Murder Mystery Night. And it was a thing. It's still a thing, Murder Mystery Night. And it's, you know, it's it's sort of one of my favorite kinds of books and movies, like the Knives Out kind of thing. And he and his friends were were doing this as teenagers. Yeah. And apparently he didn't like that. Like you said, he didn't like the game Murder, but he did like the ones they put on at hotels. Um, he didn't like Agatha Christie, which is kind of surprising because if his game can be compared to anybody's books, it's Agatha Christie's for sure. sure. Um, and so uh, that was the interwar period. During World War II, uh, 1943 found him working as a law clerk. He also worked as, in a munitions factory as well. Um, and because there were blackouts at night, because um, the UK was getting bombed on the regular, um, you didn't, you couldn't go out. There was nothing to do. People didn't come over. You didn't do anything. You just hung out with your family. And luckily, he and his wife um, had a, a, a gaming streak, I guess, with with in common. Because if you think about it, it's very it's very rare to sit down and come up with a board game, even in that situation. Like, it just takes a certain person, and you yeah. put Elva and Anthony Pratt together in blackout conditions in 1943, and they're going to come up with Clue. Yeah. Originally, they called it murder still, this time with uh, an a, a exclamation point, almost an apostrophe. <laughs> uh, it was called Murder. And he thought, and they thought, rather, I think she designed some of the artwork and stuff in uh-huh. the original rooms and things like that. And worked on the gameplay together, but he knew that like you can sell board games because he actually had a friend named Jeffrey Bull who sold a game to Waddington's Games of London. So mm-hmm. he was like, you know, we can actually sell this thing. Like we're not just creating a fun game for our family. And that first initial game had ten characters. Yeah, uh, one was randomly chosen as the victim, which is a little different than the clue that we know and love. Yeah, and there were nine weapons. Uh, the ones that were different that. I think are still kind of fun, are a bomb. That would just be a fun little game piece, I think. Sure. Like a classic cartoon, like round, fused bomb. Mm-hmm. Uh, a hypodermic syringe, kind of dark. Uh, a poison bottle, which is pretty obvious for a, a murder mystery. And then an Irish shillelagh, which is w- would be really kind of cool to have today. Uh, if you don't know what that is, it was. it sort of looks like a cane, and later, you could function it as a cane, but what it really was was early Irish stick fighting. It's a cudgel. And it, you know, it's like a cane with a, a larger ball on the end where your hand would be. Yeah, the and business end. Yeah, so just like uh, if you look at the Boston Celtics logo, 
that that cane that that little Celtic has is in fact a shillelagh. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, nice nice description of of that, Chuck. Way to go. Yeah, I didn't know stick fighting was a thing. I kind of went down a rabbit hole, and apparently it was a, it was a stick to fight with at first, but then later on, I was just like, oh no, this is just my cane. Whack, whack. Oh, gotcha. That kind of thing. So um, something I thought was pretty sweet was that um, the Pratts managed to get in a meeting with um, the people at Waddington's thanks to uh, their friend, the Bulls, Jeffrey Bull and his wife. And the Bulls went with them to that meeting, and they all sat down and played this game Murder together. And <laughs> basically on the spot, Waddington's was like, we'll take it. Um, in 1945, they, they came up with an agreement to produce the game. Um, Pr- Anthony Pratt got a patent for it in 1947. But again, because the, the UK was getting bombed on the regular during World War II um, and there was a war going on, it was kind of difficult to come by some of the uh, materials needed. So it kind of got its start and fits and starts really kind of beginning around 1949. Yeah, uh, they named it Cluedo, like you said, spelled like Clue with D-O at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, that is Latin for I play, and there's also a game called Ludo uh, in Britain. It's like a Parcheesi game, so I guess they thought it had some just name appeal or whatever. I guess. Would be my guess, because Cluedo doesn't make any sense. <laughs> N- not in North America, no. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, but was it even a word there? No, it was a made-up word. Yeah, it didn't make sense then either. <laughs> so um, that was Waddington's take on it. And Parker Brothers is like, that's lame, Waddington's. You're our, our partner in the UK, but we're going to name it Clue. And they produced a slightly different version. I think, for example, um, in Cluedo, in the original Cluedo, Mr. Green here in the United States was called Reverend Green there. Just little yeah. little differences like that that mm-hmm. you would pick up on depending on whether you lived in the United States or, or Great Britain. Um, and then uh, I think the the actual house that it's um, modeled on also um, distinguished the two games. In the UK version, supposedly it was um, inspired by a mansion in Sussex called Tudor Close. And it's still around. You can see pictures of Tudor Close. But one of the things that supports that idea is that in 1937, um, it was renovated to include a billiards room and a ballroom. And then for the American version... Mm-hmm. Um, it was supposedly inspired by the, the house of George Parker, founder of Parker Brothers Games, who had a, um, an estate that he bought in New Hampshire in 1925, and it bore some resemblance to it as well. And that house is still around, too. Yeah, but I think you and I agree that there is only one clue house, and that is the one on the cover of the 1972 American Board Game Edition. It's absolutely true. That's the house. I'm not sure where it is because uh, Medium tricked me. <laughs> I know. Still salty about that. So in 1953, Pratt sold his overseas sales rights uh, for 5,000 pounds, which would be a little over 116,000 pounds today. Good chunk of change, um, although uh, he would complain, and I think has a very good point, that like, hey, they didn't tell me they were already selling it over there. That's a great point. And that it was super popular. So it probably, and it seems like a sort of a lifelong thing with, with he and his wife Elva, that they they never got the money they should have gotten, um, but it was it was enough money at the time in one chunk to be able to quit his job and play piano full time, and he was getting those mailbox checks 
from the domestic UK sales. Yeah, it was worth about 116,000 pounds in today's money or 147,000 US dollars. Not enough to retire on, but he apparently retired on it. Um, And like you said, he was getting those mailbox checks too, but they were set to expire in 1961. And supposedly the independent termed up evidence that um, it might have been extended up to four years. So at the latest, he stopped getting checks in 1965 and he lived until 1994. So he he had to make do all over again. It was a a fortune, a a mild fortune that he made and then, you know, just kind of lived on and had to go back to work eventually. Yeah, like. He should have been getting checks till the day he died. Absolutely. And you know, I mean, like, in Waddington's not informing him that Clue was gangbusters over yeah. there. It's like, yes, if you're a business mind, you could be like, yeah, that's business. It's called doing your due diligence. If you're uh, Anthony Pratt and it's 1953, how are you going to find out what the sales are from Parker Brothers of Clue in North America if you don't even have a Clue that your ver- the American version of Clue is selling like gangbusters over there. You probably, I don't know how you would even find that out. No, he was taking advantage of it, I think. So, yeah, I think that's my point. Uh, his daughter uh, still lives today. Marsha Davies uh, has been on record saying and interviewed like that, you know, it's not like we talked about Cluedo much in our house. Uh, my mom would grouse about it occasionally that they, they didn't get the money they, they should have gotten from it. That's a great word. What word? Grouse. <laughs> yeah, that's a good word. Yeah, double meaning too. What that it's a bird and uh, yeah. um, a attitude. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, here is what it says on, uh, and there's a little story I'll let you tell afterward. But okay. like you said, he died in 1994, and on his grave it says, "A very dear father, Anthony E. Pratt, born 10 August 1903, died 9 April 1994, inventor of Cluedo, sadly missed." Uh, I really wish that she had put, you know, killed by Miss Scarlet in the conservatory with a lead pipe. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Just for fun. For sure. Um, apparently, he died in such obscurity that um, Waddington's had no idea that he was dead for three years. And there's no telling if they ever really would have found out had they not been searching for him to uh, celebrate Cluedo's 150th, 150 millionth sale. Yeah. And they put out a press release telling the public, like, hey, we're looking for this guy. The title of the press release was Wanted, colon, for Murder Most Enjoyable. And apparently the person who ran the cemetery that he's buried in knew that he was buried there and got in touch with Waddington and said, don't waste your time, man. This That whole thing just really upsets me. <laughs> it is kind of upsetting. There's nothing really good about the Anthony Pratt story. Yeah, because, like, first of all, they, I think, misled him. And then, you know, hey, he's an old man. Let's rub in the fact that we've sold $150 million of these games <laughs> sure. that he didn't have a piece of. So, like, let's find him. Yeah. And they're like, he's been dead for three years. Even worse than that, Chuck, I read that they petitioned to exhume him to bring him to the celebration anyway. No, I'm not following that. I read that, that on Medium. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he should be crowned in, like, they should have a statue of him at, at Waddington's. For sure. Because, you know? uh, the reason why, not just because we're Clue fans, but because um, it's, uh, uh, according to Fun.com, among other sources, it's probably the fifth most popular board game of all time. And that includes not just, like, Monopoly and Scrabble. We're talking about chess and checkers. It's in the top five with chess 
and checkers that have been around for thousands of years. So it was like a huge blockbuster game. Yeah, I'm going to call it the third. I don't even, that should just be for branded games. I agree with you. I so totally agree. I, I think that's sucker stuff, calling yeah. chess and checkers a board game. <laughs> so I say it's the third most popular game of all time. We did a Monopoly episode. What's the other one, Scrabble? Yeah. Yeah, we should probably do a Scrabble app at some point. Okay. Maybe we can get uh, Hodgman to, to make a rare guest appearance. Yeah, rare. But everyone on Reddit gets mad every time I say the name Hodgman. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That must have been a very enlightening experience, huh? Short-lived, my friend. So, Chuck, I say that um, we take a little break. And when we come back, we talk about how to actually play Clue as cobbled together from people who know what they're talking about. Let's do it. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. So my one regret is that I didn't get it together enough because we were on tour to play Clue uh, before this game, uh, before this recording, because I haven't played it in a long time. Uh, Emily and I used to play uh, Mono e Mono Clue. Oh wow! And can you we quit? Yeah. Okay. It's not as fun. Okay. And it's certainly not fun to play with Emily because she feels like she has a a. a sort of patented, foolproof victory route. Oh, yeah. She has a methodology uh, that she will not tell me what it is. And she, uh, she's she beat me every time, so we just quit playing. <laughs> that was like you, me, and me with backgammon. Who won? 
you me and she has a thing like she's she, good yeah at it. she was like I, it's the strategy of back strategy not like it's a secret or anything she's like i just figured it out and i still have never figured it out so we just stopped playing well maybe we'll all get together they can just play each other in games and we'll just sit around and have a cocktail that sounds like a great idea man because i'm not competitive like that uh i'm not either it's been so long since I played a board game. I don't remember fully, and it seems like I could be competitive, but I okay. I think I was competitive at Trivial Pursuit. Yeah, I mean, I love board games. I just never play them much anymore because we don't have a lot of friends who are like, "Hey, let's have board game night." But I'd totally be into it. Yeah, totally for sure. All right, so let's talk Clue, eh? Oh yeah. So um, in the classic Clue game, there's so many variations on it that are slightly different. Some have like extra like cards to them or the names of the characters are a little different but if you just look at the basic classic clue which that's what we're going to talk about um 1972 72 86 2023 even they re-updated the classic version um but you're supposed to play with three to six players and clearly you can play with two i've seen in places you can play with two but if you look at the instructions it says three to six players ages eight and up and if you're seven and a half and precocious, maybe you get a pass. But really, you don't want to play with anybody under eight, typically. Yeah, I'm curious if Ruby would be into this. We'll have to give it a shot. Okay, fair enough. Uh, yeah, so eight and up, uh, what you do is you uh, choose to be the identity of one of six people. Who? Colonel Mustard. Yeah. Cor- the Colonel, the good Colonel. Sure. Uh, Miss Peacock, yep. Professor Plum, Mrs. White, Mr. Green, and of course, Miss Scarlet, who, as a young Baptist boy, that seventy-two clue, hmm. she she I, I looked at her picture quite a bit. She was very attractive for sure. So, who were you? Who did you pick normally? Was there like one character for you when you were? Kid? You know, I don't remember having a favorite. Now that I think about it, did you, Professor Plum? Oh, okay, that fits. I just like the name and the color is pretty too. But for some reason, it's just it was like cellar door for me, kind of. Yeah, and you, you were you know. You're a, a literary sort of type. Were you back then? No. No, I like okay. to read, but I would not call myself <laughs> literary. I didn't like become they... <laughs> pretentious until much later in life. You're like, they didn't have Joe the Plumber, so. <laughs> right. So um, there's six murder weapons, right? Six suspects, yep. six murder weapons. Uh, in the classic game, the knife, the revolver, the wrench, mm-hmm. ouch, the rope, the candlestick, and the lead pipe. A lot yes. of um, uh, head trauma. Among these, you know? Yeah, four of them are, are are whackers, huh? Exactly. No shillelagh, but still, it gets the point across. And well, I guess three of them are technically whackers. What, the candlestick, the wrench, and the lead pipe? Yeah, because the rope is a, is a choker, revolver is a shooter, and the knife is a stabber. Right. So I, I overshot it by one. Although you could hit somebody with a rope or the butt of a gun. Right, or if you have a candle in the candlestick, you could light them on fire. Ah, good point. Or, or you could do some creative things with that lead pipe, too. Yeah, you, know what I'm saying? you could use it as a blowgun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Although it's bent in the game, so it probably wouldn't work very well. Yeah. Although you could use it to shoot around a corner. <laughs> so there's also nine rooms on the board, right? And there's the hall, the lounge, the dining room, the kitchen, the ballroom, the conservatory, the library, and the study. And this was where I learned about manor houses and general estates, uh, yeah, architectural yeah. layouts, usually yeah. on the first floor. 
Yeah, I didn't know what a conservatory was. Like, it introduced me to some of these terms, even. Yeah, and the other thing, um, everybody, if you if you didn't play the seventy two edition, go look it up. There's there's some for sale, but if you look at the board, it's really beautiful. Like they used yeah. um, textures and colors to to signify what um, what room was what. I think for the ballroom, it was like parquet flooring. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think this it's like wallpaper in one. I think. Yeah, I don't remember which one that was. The kitchen had like doily a doily pattern. Yeah. Um, and the I think the study had like a red burgundy leather background. It was just really neat looking. Yeah, totally. And and the, it was as a kid, your imagination is just running wild with this stuff because it is a game, and that's kind of one of the fun things about it. Yeah. Especially as a kid, is a game that has backstory and it, it a lot um, goes on in your imagination. It's not sorry or shoots and ladders, you know? Exactly. Well put. And in addition to the fact that it had that potential to create that, it was masterfully um, put together. Like the yeah. details of it were really evocative of that kind of thing. So like yeah. it really helped it along, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, Totally. All right, so the beginning of the game, there are three cards that reveal the murder weapon, the murderer, Mm -hmm. and where it took place. You seal those in an envelope, and the whole goal of the game is to figure out who did the murder, with what weapon, and in what room. Yes, Uh, and apparently there's about 324 different solutions that it could be, which really doesn't matter because as long as there's more than one or two or three— you're going to, it's going to be a different game every time. Yeah. So uh, you roll the dice to move along the hallways in between rooms. Uh, and then your your goal initially is to get into a room because only when you're in a room can you say that you think the murder happened in that room. You can't do it from the hallway or whatever, right? Right. Um, and when you're there, when you, you can make a suggestion, it's kind of like a soft accusation, right? Right. <laughs> Where you can say, I think that it's Colonel Mustard in the ballroom, which I'm currently in, uh, with the rope. And what happens next is you go from player to player, beginning at the player on your left. And if they have Colonel Mustard or the ballroom or the um, uh, rope card, because yeah. there's a card for each character each weapon in each room and everybody's distributed cards that they keep to themselves if they have one of those cards they have to show you and if they have two of those cards they still only have to show you one but then your turn is over you've just been your theory has just been disproven now you didn't win but at the same time you just gained a tremendous amount of information and Mm -hmm. the other people playing if they're paying attention gained um a lesser amount, but still some information. That's that's the game, like that you're paying attention like that. It's deduction. Yeah, it's it's using process of elimination and deduction and taking notes, and we'll get into that in a second. Uh, one key thing here that I'm not, I don't think you said was uh, you bring all that stuff into the room. Like you oh, bring yeah. that rope and that character into the room. So you can also use a little bit of strategy there to pull uh, Colonel Mustard you know, that player away from where they were into that room. Yeah, that's a great point for sure. Um, Some of it's luck, right? Sure. I mean, you roll the dice and you may or may not get into the room. And if you're not in the room, even if you know who it is, you know, let's say you're you're over in the study and you got to get all the way to the kitchen because you know it's the kitchen. But you can't you can't make that final accusation and win the game until you're in the kitchen. 
So uh, dice rolls have something to do with it. But really more than anything, like we said, it's, it's mostly up to deduction and paying attention to the information you can glean. Right. And I think I may have missed it if you said it. Did you also uh, say that if no one reveals any card at all, then you can actually, like, lay it all on the line and make an official accusation? No, I didn't say that. Okay. Well, that's one of the keys. Like, if no one reveals a card, then you know, like, well, wait a minute. They don't have those cards, so it's possible that those are the three cards in that envelope. Right. Uh, if it's early in the game, it's obviously a huge risk. You probably want to save that till later mm-hmm. uh, once you've narrowed it down more. But you can, um, I was about to say throw your cards on the table, but don't do that. <laughs> but you can say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm going to go for it. And you look in that envelope, and if, if that's it, that's it. You're won. Uh, you've won it. And if not, then you're out. That's the big risk. Yeah, because now you know who did it with what weapon and in what room. So you're out of the game. You go pop the popcorn. Exactly. Um, now – if you if you make that suggestion, that's your theory of who did it with what and where, and nobody shows you the card, if you don't have any of those cards, then you pretty much know that's your, that you're right because I think all right. the cards are distributed equally among everybody, right? Yeah. Um, but you would say, well, why would you even say that if you why, – why would you mention one of the ones that you have in your hand? And this – this is where we start to get into like like real deal strategy that you're not going to find in the rule books very much, but work really well for Clue. Yeah, and we're going to go over theirs in one sec, but I did want to add like one of the genius things of Clue to me uh, is that even in, even when you're eliminated, it's still fun to sit around. Yes. It's not it's not one of those games where you're like, well, I'm out of here then because you know I'm out of the game right. and watching it is no fun. It's still fun to sit around. And and drink a cocktail and heckle everyone else, especially if you're eight. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I, I was. It's funny you say that because when we were researching this, or when I was researching it today, I I had that same memory. I was like, I remember I wouldn't get up from the table like after yeah. I was eliminated. I'd just stay there and watch. It was really entertaining. Yeah. It was like a lot of fun. the the pre-internet version of Steam. I don't know what that is. It's where you, it's like an internet thing where you watch people playing video games. Like you're just watching them play video games. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's people, that, people uh, make a living doing that. Is that the thing where people play? Oh, did you say video games? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I have heard of that. I thought you were saying board games. No, no. I'm, I'll I'm bet sure that's, that's out a there. thing too. For sure. I'll <laughs> bet that's out there too. And I'll bet they make a living from it as well. All right. So we promised some, uh, some strategies. And these were, where did we call these from? Uh, they came from the Spruce Crafts, uh-huh. Stack Exchange Posts, and Reddit Threads. That's a good place to go, probably. For sure. Because, I, I, I mean, people share strategy for Clue all over the internet, and if it's, it works, it works. Yeah. For, um, now, here's the deal. I haven't played it so long. A lot of these just I didn't fully understand because I'm just so out of practice. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to buy that 72 game and get back into it and, and revisit these. But uh, I can tell you about them. Um, one of the strategies, and, it, you know, it's kind of the most obvious one, is you're using those suggestions to but to get into that process of elimination and eliminate, you know, people, rooms, and weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hardest for the rooms because you have to be in that room to guess it. Uh, so you actually have to roll the dice to get there. Um, but, you know, you're if you're trying to eliminate a weapon, like you want that gun out of the game, then suggest it and see if they have it. And then um, 
you know, you can keep sort of harping on that. Right. Uh, but that may mean that you're also trying to throw people off the scent and they might catch on. You might actually have that card, right? Yeah. Or, yeah, if you're watching, if you're playing with somebody and they keep re- mentioning the, the revolver or whatever, every time they make a suggestion, um, they, that means either they have the revolver and they're using a process of elimination or they've already figured out the revolver is the actual murder weapon. So right. you, you, if you're being really strategic, you don't want to use that same one. If you know that that's something... Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Is in that envelope, that sealed envelope, is the weapon or the murderer or the room. M- maybe mix it up a little bit to pay to throw off the people who are really paying attention to you. Yeah, for sure. So if you make or if anyone makes a suggestion, and you know, like if you suggest uh, something to Yumi, and Emily and I notice that she doesn't uh, or that nobody shows a card. Yeah. Uh, or if you suggest something, period, and no one shows you a card, then chances are that it, you've gotten one of the three cards in that envelope in your suggestion. Right. But that doesn't mean that you necessarily have the answer if you don't have any of those three cards in your hand. Um, because if you have uh, more than one card, let's say you say Professor Plum with the lead pipe in the conservatory, and I have Professor Plum and the conservatory in my hand. I only uh-huh. have to show you <laughs> Professor Plum or the conservatory. I don't have to show you both. And so a good strategy is if I've shown you Professor Plum, um, I can write down, showed Professor Plum already. And so if somebody guesses Professor Plum and the conservatory again, I can just show you Professor Plum, and I will not be giving the information to anybody that I have the conservatory as well. You know what this episode is? What? Clue people are going to love it and be angry at us. Right. Non-clue people are just going to hate us. <laughs> Why? Because they're not. <laughs> we're, they're having trouble following what we're saying? Well, of course. If you've never played Clue, this is getting in the weeds, you know? Sure. It is for sure. Uh, and But we're getting in the weeds such that I also don't feel confident we're getting it all right. So <laughs> Clue, <laughs> That's right. Clueists will be like, oh, guys. How could you forget? That feeling's like an old friend to us by now, Chuck. <laughs> it really is. It's the, the fourth leg of our podcast. Exactly. Uh, one thing that they say you can do is, you know, if you play against the same people, it, you know, it's not unlike poker in that people bluff and they have their own little tricks and things and tells. So just to sort of pay attention and try and read them if, it, if you play with your family all the time, let's say. For sure. So this is the this is what it all boils down to right here, Chuck. It's it's deduction. It's process of elimination. Wait. I'll bet uh-huh. you can. <laughs> so let's say you're holding Miss Scarlet, and your friend you already know has the candlestick because uh, you guessed it before and, and they showed it to you. So mm-hmm. you know that they have the candlestick, and then somebody else says um, that that they think it was Miss Scarlet in the dining room with the candlestick. And another player is like, here's a card that disproves it. You know that that player has the dining room, right? You have okay. Miss Scarlet. Your other friend has the candlestick. That fourth player has the dining room because they showed it to player three. And you mark that down. And if you do that enough times, you can figure out what cards are being held by people. And hence, through process of elimination, what cards are likeliest hidden in the envelope as the murderer and the murder weapon and the room the murder took place in. I'm sure that's what Emily's doing, like a variation on that, because she's she's scribbling down stuff. Right. I, I'm not taking nearly enough notes, clearly, because that's a big part of the game. Yeah. 
And when I was reading about all the different note taking and you're going to need an even bigger notebook than the notepad they give you, I was, I was like, oh, r- really? <laughs> no, it's true. There's a, like the it's it's a logic problem, basically, so much so that they 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 train artificial intelligence on it. There's a, a Dutch computer scientist named Hans von Dittmarsch. Yeah. Who did a um, a like a, a Cluedo formalization. They took he he took Cluedo and translated it into AI instructions. Um, and basically, what his premise is is that it's all changes in information. When you interact with other players, your information changes, and so the AI tries to figure out what route it has to take through player to player to player to get to. Um, the information it needs to win the game in the fewest moves, which essentially is probably what Emily's doing. So you're married to an artificial intelligence, it turns out. Uh, yeah, sure. That makes sense. That tracks. <laughs> but, I mean, that's a, that's how logical Clue actually is. It's, it's this process of deduction where if you, if you can track the information that you're getting or that other people are getting, you can win the game every time, basically. Yeah, and was that the thing that Duke University used? Yeah, they came up with their own thing, uh, an algorithm to play Clue, uh, which anytime you have a logic problem, you can develop an algorithm for it, right? Yeah, so they basically were uh, turned it into an algorithm for what you were kind of talking about, like a treasure hunt problem, Mm -hmm. how to get there the quickest, how to get to the answer the quickest. And they said, like, you know, one day they can apply this kind of thing to stuff like robotic mind sweeping even. Yeah. Um, Which is pretty cool. Go find the mine, like, quicker. Yeah. Um, If you're just playing casually with friends casually, or if you're the only one who's not playing casually, maybe um, reconsider using some of these harder core in-the-weeds strategies and just pay attention and use the notepad that it comes with and have fun. Yeah, and maybe don't announce before the game that I have a foolproof method that (laughs) I win every time. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and at least don't take a lap around the game table after you win. Oh, she's the worst winner. All right, so uh, let's take a break then, and uh, we'll come right back, everybody. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! 
Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. So like we said, there's a bunch of variations that are just super darling um if you played clue and yeah it has a place in your heart yeah depending on where you are in the world there's just different names for different characters right we said that um mr green is called reverend green in the uk or used to be but mm-hmm. the victim uh remember this the owner of the house that everybody's at these are party guests ostensibly and yeah. the murder takes place and it's the host who's murdered every time and the host in the u.s is known as mr body with two Ds, yeah. it's kind of some gallows humor. In yep. the in the UK, uh, he's known as Doctor Black, right? I like that too. What about in Switzerland? Uh, it's funny because some of these I was like, no, of course not. It's the classic. This is what you want. But some of these I liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, Herr Cluedo in Switzerland, mm-hmm. uh, Signor Lemon in Spain. <laughs> nice. Uh, like you said, he was Reverend Green, but Doctor Olive in France was yeah. Mister Green, which is okay. Uh, Professor Plum is Professor Black in Brazil. Okay. Uh, Mrs. Peacock is Baroness von Blau, which I love, in Norway. Uh, And in Switzerland, uh, I do not like this one. Uh, Colonel Mustard is Madame Curry. Not Curie? Is that what it's supposed to be? I guess so. I thought Curie was C-U-R-I-E. Right, it is, but but Curry is a color. Uh, Is that a play on that? I think so. That's how I'm taking it. I hate it even more. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, there's also been some changes to the materials, too. If you bought the original version of Clue back in mm-hmm. 1949, I guess, um, the rope was actually a little tiny piece of rope. I love that. <laughs> and the lead pipe was made of lead. Amazing. Yeah, that's authentic stuff. Um, yeah. Over the years, though, they've they've generally stuck to the same premise, the same characters, and just kind of... Like, it's been like jazz. Like, they've been riffing on, you know, the original form. Yeah, they, like the backstories would change a little bit. Um, and this is the kind of thing where I'm really going to try and resist the urge to to poo-poo more modernized changes. I know what you mean. As like, you know, Gen X guy who says the 72 version is the best. But <laughs> right. um, Colonel Mustard is a soccer star as of 2008. Um, Jack Mustard. Uh, Professor Plum was turned into Vic- Victor Plum, a video game designer. Brilliant video game designer. Yeah, that's fine. You know, if that helps, you know, kids get into it a little more. Uh, what I am going to take issue with is adding home theater as one of the rooms. That's funny because that was the one that made the most sense to me. Oh, I, I don't know. Updating the room? 
Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I just, I don't know, killed somebody with a candlestick in the home theater. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Just, uh, it feels at odds with the sort of, because I still sort of associate it with this sort of English estate kind of thing. I I see what you mean, for sure. I get that. But I guess they probably have home theaters in the UK, right? No, of course they do. Oh, okay. So um, that was the Discover the Secrets 2008 edition. And that was probably, from what I can tell, the biggest makeover of any of the um, the, the editions. Um, they, they went so far as to get rid of Mrs. White and replaced <laughs> her with uh, her adopted daughter, Dr. Orchid. Um, that didn't last all that long. I guess it lasted decade or two, but in 2023, they came up with another update and they basically took it back to the beginning. Mrs. White came back, but now she's Chef White. Um, They combined the UK and the American uh, names for the host and now it's Mr. Bodden Body Black. (laughs) Colonel Mustard stopped playing soccer and went back to the military. Mrs. Peacock is now a lawyer, a solicitor. Mr. Green's a mayor. Miss Scarlet's the same. And Professor Plum is the same. And the weapons of the rooms are back to what they were back when we loved the game, Chuck. So you can settle down. Yeah. And I looked <laughs> I looked up this new one uh, because there are people that have been uh, saying like, oh, they made them all sexy looking. Um, I don't know about that. I, I guess they're a little, they skew younger than the, the original uh, cast on that, or not the original, but the 72 version. Yeah. Uh, I believe Miss Scarlet and Plum now are people of color, mm-hmm. so they've they've you know gotten a little more diverse, which is good. I think Mayor Green is as well. And they're also licensed versions, uh, which I've never seen. Uh, you know, I have that Star Wars Monopoly, which is a lot of fun. But apparently, there's a Alfred Hitchcock clue. That sounds awesome. It sounds pretty good. Where the characters are are characters from the movies, uh, Hitchcock movies, kind of fun. One of the rooms is the Bates Motel. Bates Motel. Oh. Of course it is. You know, I finally saw Psycho for the first time. Um, what? Just like a month ago, maybe. I was Great. reading about it, and I, I guess I watched that documentary about the shower scene, uh-huh. which is a pretty good documentary. And I, it, it made me realize, like, the way that people were talking about the movie, I'm like, that doesn't track with what I know about Psycho. And it oh, turns out it's a far different movie than what I realized. It's really good. Yeah, I mean, that whole first part of the movie, like – if you haven't seen it, you probably wouldn't even know it existed because not many people talk about it. Yeah, and I can imagine, like, watching that movie before, you know, everyone knew that Norman Bates was the killer. Yeah. And that, you know, the the protagonist, who you think is the protagonist, gets killed off, the yeah, big yeah. star, um, uh-huh. that it was just totally shocking. Yeah. Must have been amazing. Great. Have you seen a lot of Hitchcock stuff? Or Yeah, this, which is why oh, okay. it's really weird that I, I hadn't seen Psycho. Yeah, great movie. Um, Scooby-Doo version, uh, The Weapons Are Monsters, and then this one's kind of cute, The Golden Girls uh, clue version. Instead (laughs) of murder, it's uh, who ate the last slice of cheesecake. That's adorable. It's so, uh, what do they call it online? Uh, Wholesome. Wholesome, right. So there's been a ton of spinoffs of the clue um, IP Owned by Hasbro, by the way, which who also made the ver- our, um, Stuff You Should Know version of Trivial, per- Trivial Pursuit. Yeah, they bought out the other companies, right? Parker Brothers and Waddington's. Waddington's. Yes, yeah. they dominate. Um, but <laughs> so there, there was like a game show in the UK from 1990 to 93, which was pretty cute. I, I was watching part of an episode. There was a book, a series of young adult mystery books. Um, there was a, 
1980s VCR game, which is actually really beloved and harder than the board game by far. I remember those. Yeah, me too. Not Clue, but just VCR games. Supposedly, Dwayne Perkins from The Blackening is coming up with an animated series based on Clue. Cool. And we just could not have this episode and not discuss the classic 1985 movie, Clue. It's so good. Not just as a, in its own right, a mm-hmm. good movie, but as an adaptation of something that already existed, it just yeah. did it perfectly. Yeah. It's one of my favorite uh, comedies of the 80s, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. It was, um, a, a, you know, now it's making something like a movie out of a video game is something that wouldn't surprise you. But 1985, it was very unusual. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was written and directed, uh, co-written by Jonathan Lynn and directed by Jonathan Lynn, co-written with John Landis. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Lynn also directed My Cousin Vinny and The Whole Nine Yards. Oh, cute. So, you know, a few other pretty big movies. Uh-huh. And it's just, it's one of my favorites. The big mistake then why it was considered a box office slop, uh, flop was that studio executives got greedy and they would send one, uh, three different prints of Clue to movie theaters mm-hmm. uh, with a different ending on each print with the idea that, hey, people will go and see this movie three times to go and see the three possible endings. And it did not work out that way. I know. That's crazy because I saw it in the theaters and I was enthralled by the idea that there were other endings. I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my short nine years on the planet. Did you go see other versions in the theater? Do you remember? No. I was just content with knowing there were other versions out there. Um, but when the movie came out on VHS, we rented it like too sweet to watch them yeah. all because they very wisely included them all in the ending, which is the same uh, if you watch it on like Prime or Netflix or whatever now. Yeah. And it not only is it great to not have to pay three times to go see it, but it functions really well mm-hmm. with the one, two, three endings because, you know, they do the ending and they'll say, or it could have happened like this. And then they, I mean, that's when Tim Curry just yeah. really shines. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's great through the whole thing as Wadsworth, uh, the butler, but he really, really shines when he's, um, it's just a genius comedic performance. Yeah, for sure. So did uh, Madeline Kahn uh, as Mrs. White when she talks about hating Yvette. Oh, God. That was apparently improvised. Classic. Yeah. If you haven't seen Clue, go see it like tonight. It's just such a great movie. Um, and our friends over at Mental Floss, Matthew Jackson, uh, wrote something about, like, uh, little-known facts about the movie Clue. And apparently there was a fourth ending originally that they didn't bother yeah. shooting. Carrie Fisher was supposed to be Miss Scarlet. Oh, gosh. Rather than... Leslie Ann Warren. Exactly. Uh, and get this, the telegram, the singing telegram girl, that was uh-huh. Jane Weedland from the Go-Go's. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's another one, too, if you want to hear it. Let's hear it. You know who played Mr. Body? No. It was Lee Ving, who was the singer and guitarist of the uh, hardcore punk band Fear. No. Yes, John Belushi's buddy. Wow. So two music connections. I think we should go through the rest of the cast, too, just because it's short and amazing. It is Um, a great cast. Christopher Lloyd played Professor Plum. Uh, You already mentioned the great Madeline Kahn. Uh, flames on the side of my face. It was just <laughs> unbelievable. Also, in that scene when he's running, he grabs her. Tim Curry grabs her to run upstairs and explain how she did it in one of the endings. And she, and I think she probably made this up too. She just 
she trips and falls on her face like a third of the way up the stairs and he keeps going. <laughs> yeah. Great physical comedy. Sure. Um, the great Martin Mull is Colonel Mustard. Yeah. Uh, Michael McKean is Mr. Green. Uh, I mean, I feel like ruining his great last line, but maybe I shouldn't. Yeah, don't. Okay. Uh, Eileen Brennan, who is wonderful. Uh, Miss Peacock. Uh, we already mentioned Jane Wienland and Ving. Uh, Colleen Camp, classic, as Yvette. And if you recognized um, the cook, it was uh, she was a mash. Kelly uh, Nakahara played the cook, and she played Lieutenant uh, Yamoto oh, in Mash. Yeah, I remember her. So the cast is amazing, and uh, if you're interested in a deeper dive, uh, the great and wonderful Casey Wilson was a movie crush guest, and this was her movie. Nice. That's a great movie. Yeah. Uh, if you want to know more about Clue the movie, go watch it. Don't read anything else about it. Don't listen to anybody else jabber on about it. Just go watch it and thank us later. And if you've never played Clue, you'd do a lot worse than starting with the 1972 edition, friends. Yeah. Well, since Chuck agreed with my assessment, that means, of course, it's time for listener mail. I'm going to watch it again soon. I'm now remembering how great Eileen Brennan was. Yeah. <laughs> She's wonderful. Yeah. Everyone is so good. Uh, all right, here we go. Hi, Josh and Chuck. I just finished. Uh, this is a, a correction of... Um, Epic proportions? That, no, it's just something that we like to correct these especially. Uh, just finished listening to the J.D. Salinger episode. Fascinating listen, so thanks uh, for diving into this. I'm a big fan of stuff you should know. This is my first time sending in a correction. But at the end of the episode, uh, Josh refers to an article by a guy named uh, Michiko uh, Kakutani. I thought it was important to note that Michiko Kakutani is a woman. Uh, she's a revered literary critic, writer, and Pulitzer Prize winner. And I wanted to make this uh, trailblazing woman make sure that she got her due on your show. And that is from Julie Ann Behar from White Salmon, Washington. Thanks a lot, Julie Ann. I appreciate it. I feel like all the corrections that we're reading lately are mine, disproportionately. <laughs> I'm not filing mine away and, like, burning them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty big flub. I'm sorry about that. Um, thank you for that correction. That was a good one. Uh, if I misspoke in this episode or any other episode that you noticed, let us know about it. Chuck will read it for sure on the air. You can send it off via email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. 
Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island. It becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.